Well, speaking of money, we are starting a series today called Money Matters, and I need to tell you from the very beginning, because as soon as a preacher says we're going to talk about money, everyone starts, you know, do I still have my wallet or do they already grab it, you know, like, and I want you to know that, that what we're going to be talking about today is really looking at some habits that we can put in place that will lead to financial freedom, because the truth of the matter is we all want financial freedom, don't we? And so I just want you to know from the very start this morning, I'm not, we're not going to ask you to give all of your money. We're not going to ask, we don't have any new building projects that we're asking you to give toward or anything like that. I just believe that God wants his people to be smart and have wisdom when it comes to the resources that he's entrusted to us. You know, Jesus talked more about money and money issues and stewardship issues than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Isn't that crazy to think about? Sometimes when you hear preachers talk about money, you go, well, I, wa- I-, I was hoping we would talk about spiritual things this morning. And I want you to know that when we talk about money, we're talking about the things that Jesus himself talked about. Because Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that we think a lot about money. In fact, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you spent some time this week thinking about money? Most of us. In fact, I'm going to tell you, don't even go on a website and look at your retirement right now. <laughs> Don't do it while I'm preaching for sure. <laughs> we spend a lot of time. And so here's the thing. Your heavenly father cares about the things that you care about. And he cares about you and loves you and wants you to live in alignment with his plans and his purposes. Because when we do, we, experiencing, we experience blessing and we flourish and we're fruitful and we're fulfilled. And so some of the stats that you, and, and sometimes I, I hesitate to even share stats with you because, you know, it's just like numbers. But, but think about this. In the, in, I think it was this past June, we'll put some of these up here. Uh, uh, this past June, studies show that 62% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Which means a lot of you in this room are going, that's me. That's, that's my life. The average American now spends $1.26 for every $1 that is earned. In fact, there was a stat that I read this week, and I, I didn't know what I'd think about this one, that's up to a dollar and 33 cents at this point. 28% of American adults are currently in the debt collection process. That doesn't mean that they have debt, it means that they're exploring bankruptcy or, or a form of bankruptcy. 28% of American adults. The number one cause of divorce this past year is money fights and money problems. Does that sober you? In light of these statistics, it's no wonder that Jesus spends so much time talking about money because God wants better for us. He wants better for us. Not so we can drive the best car in the lot and so we can be wearing all the greatest clothes. He wants better for us because he cares about things that are way bigger than what we can ever imagine. He wants to use us to solve some of those problems. That's why scripture has so much to say about the topic. Do you know there's 2,350 verses in the Bible that deal with money? Over half of Jesus' parables or the stories that he would tell to illustrate the kingdom of God have to do with money or stewardship issues. And so God cares about our financial health. And he cares enough to say, hey, here are some habits that you can put in play. Uh, You know, we don't spend a lot of time uh, on Sunday mornings. We we spend a lot of time in the New Testament. From time to time, we'll we'll go into the Old Testament. We're going to be doing that again in a a month or so here. And, you know, we looked at Jonah this summer. but, But we don't spend a lot of time looking at the wisdom literature of the Bible. 
What is the wisdom literature? Well, the Bible is actually a library. It's a, it's a collection of books. There's 66 books in the Bible, and there's different categories. Like if you would go into a library, I don't know the last time that you walked into a library, but if you go into a library, you'll see there's different sections in a library, right? Well, so the Bible has different sections. There's a whole section of wisdom literature, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes. And there's a lot that the, the wisdom literature has to say about money. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at some of what the wisdom literature has to say. And we're going to look today at three habits. If you'll come back next week, we'll give you a few more habits. And if you'll come back the following week, you'll finally get all seven habits. And if you live out these seven habits, I'm telling you, your financial life will be changed. So let's get right into it. Three habits that we're going to talk about this morning. The first one is a habit of thinking like a manager. The first habit has to do with our thinking. Like before you even do anything, before we give you a spreadsheet, before we ask you to go to a class, like the first thing that you can do, and this, this habit alone will make a difference. If you would begin to think about your money as if you are a manager of it. I love what David has to say. David, at the very end of his life, how many of you have heard of David? You know who I'm talking about? King David in the Bible? King David, probably the greatest king in Israel's history to this day, the city of Jerusalem is called the city of David, has such an impact. And, and David was an incredible man, and he gets to the sunset of his life, and he's setting his son Solomon up for success, and he's trying to make everything ready. And God has put it in his heart to build a temple, but God has told David, hey, you're not going to be the one to actually build it. You have too much blood on your hands from all the battles that he had waged. And so God had, had let him in on the fact that Solomon would be the one to build the temple but that he would get to help kind of put all the resources together to help Solomon out. So, so, so David is standing before all the, the leaders of Israel. He's assembled them together. And, and, and he wants to kind of give them like this last like kind of rah-rah speech, right, to encourage them. And, and he says this, and we're going to read a lot here from 1 Chronicles 29. He says, beginning in verse 11, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power the glory, the victory, and the majesty. We just sang some of that, didn't we? Those are some of the words that we just sang. He, he says, everything in heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. I love that. Here's the king of an empire, basically, because Israel would, would, would basically never get any larger than it was than under David at this point. And he's, he's saying, God, this kingdom is not my kingdom. It's not my son Solomon's kingdom. This is your kingdom. This is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. And then he says something very interesting. Verse 12, he says, wealth and honor come from you. What's the word there? Wealth and power come from you alone. David knew something that a lot of us don't always get. David goes, man, I, I know that I'm prosperous. I know that, I, that I've got all of this under my control, but I understand that all of it has come from God. Wealth and power and honor come from you alone. For, let's keep reading, you, oh God, this is David speaking to God, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. Let's keep going in verse 13. Oh, our God... We thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? You know, I mean, here he is, the wealthiest man in the world probably at this point. 
He goes, who am I? Who are these people, these leaders of the nation of Israel, that we could give anything to you? Listen to what he says. He says, everything we have has come from you, and we give only what you gave first. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. He recognized, hey, I'm just a vapor. I'm here today. How many of you know the names of your great-great-grandparents? A few, a few of you do. Not very many of us do. Your great-great-grandparents. That's how quickly our, we're here today and, and another couple of generations, if Jesus tarries, we're going to be forgotten. Yeah, you're like, well, thank you for the encouragement, pastor. So glad I came to church today. I was already feeling old. You just made me feel, thank you for this morbid talk here. He says, we're, we're only here for a moment. We're just visitors and strangers. We're passing through. In other words, all of this wealth, David recognized all this wealth that he amassed. He wasn't going to take it with him. I've never seen a, a, a hearse followed by a U-Haul. Never seen it. One of these days, if I died, Carrie, do that. That would be really cool because I think people would love just, just, I don't know what you'd put in the back. You could put the flowers or something in the back, but that would be a really cool. You've never, you've never seen that. You've never been in a procession and seen a U-Haul truck in the middle of the procession because when we die, we don't take a bit of it with us. David says, we're just here for a moment. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. And then he says this, oh, Lord, our God, even this material even all of this that we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. Here's the principle. God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything that we have actually comes from God. God owns it all. But so many times we act like, I don't know if you ever did this. When I was a little kid, I remember with my room, I, I'm maybe seven years old, eight years old. And I remember drawing a sign to put on the door of my bedroom that said, keep out. Any of you ever do that? Like, you keep out, like, this is my room, keep out. Nobody's allowed in my room, right? But here's the reality. It wasn't my room. In fact, I knew it wasn't my room because every once in a while my mother would sling open that door and go, this is a disaster, right? And she would, she would make it clear that I was a manager of this domain, that she was the owner, right? Sometimes we, we are mistaken and think, well, all, all that I've accumulated, this is all mine. And God is saying, no, I gave you the education. I caused you to, be, to, to have the health in your body and the physical ability. I'm the one who arranged these things. Like, yes, you, you, you put a little bit into it, but in a comparison to all that I've done for you, the, f the first habit is beginning to realize God owns it all, and I am a temporary steward of what God has entrusted to me. You don't own anything. You're a manager. And this first habit has to do with changing our thinking. That everything that I have has been loaned to me by God. That I am his financial manager. And as a manager of what God owns, here's my responsibility. is to get to know the owner. I want to get to know the heart of the owner. What, I, I, I want to know, what, what is your motivation? How do you want me to deal with this? I don't need to feel guilty about what God has given me. Maybe some of you in this room, God has given you some stuff. Like capital S stuff. Like you, you've got, you've accumulated some stuff. You don't need to feel guilty about that. I know there's some, you know, some different politicians and stuff. that You don't need to feel guilty about that. You know the emotion that you should feel? Thankfulness. 
and responsibility. God has entrusted some stuff to you, and so thank you, God. Thank you for what you've entrusted to me. But also there's a sense of, okay, God, you're the owner. I'm a manager. I'm responsible for what you've entrusted. So, so here's the challenge on this point. Here's how we develop this habit, this habit of, of thinking like a manager. I want you just to every day, and maybe you already have a prayer time, and you already kind of have this whole long list of things that you pray. That's cool. I, maybe you don't pray. I would just encourage you at least for one week to start praying this prayer. God, help me today to realize that everything I have is from you. And God, help me today to have an attitude of appreciation and help me to act responsibly with what you've entrusted. Because it's all yours. And I'm a manager. I'm a temporary steward. I'm here for a moment. Someday somebody else is going to be, you know, so many of the things that we treasure and we think are so great, someday it's going to be in a garage sale and people are going to be like, will you take $2 for that? So this is the first habit, the habit of thinking like a manager. Would you say that with me? The habit of thinking like a manager. Let's say it one more time. The habit of thinking like a manager. It all has to do with our mind. It has to do with our thinking. Here's the second habit, the habit of hard, honest work. The habit of hard, honest work. Turn to the person next to you and say, the habit of hard, honest work. One more time, say it up to the front. The, the habit of hard, honest work. Some of you already, you're liking this point. You're, some of you, you're just wired and you're going, yes. And some of you are going, oh man, here we go. Here's one of the Proverbs that we want to look at. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Diligent hands bring wealth. The word diligent in the Hebrew means hardworking. Hard-working hands bring wealth. And when we say wealth, I'm not talking about wealth. Like, like, like we think of wealth and we think of like Scrooge McDuck. You know, sitting in a room with all of his gold, you know, like, what we're, talking, we're just talking about resources. Hard work is what brings resources, is what, is what gives you a paycheck, the money that's deposited into your bank by, by your employee, employer. Gaining financial freedom is going to require hard work. And we, we need to get that. There's a generation that needs to understand that gaining financial freedom is going to require work. Parents in this room, grandparents in this room, if you get this, you need to make sure your kids and your grandkids get this. Proverbs 14 verse 23 says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. You know... One of the passages that speaks to this, I think, the, the most is actually a passage from the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians. Last month, we were looking at 1 Thessalonians. This is actually Paul's second letter that we're going to read from today that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And he said this. He says, uh, this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. He says, for you know that you ought to imitate us. He's writing to these brand new followers of Jesus. He's saying, imitate me. Imitate these other leaders that you've seen. We were not idle when we were with you. Or we were not lazy when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us. But we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Oh. <laughs> this, is, this is the the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul 
to pen this. And then on top of that, the Holy Spirit preserved these words so that 2,000 years later we could read this. This is a principle we need to get. He goes on, he says, verse 11, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, lazy lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. That means I'm not working, but I'm just on social media all day. Oh, I know, it's getting, getting a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Listen to what he says next. We command such people. That, that's, that's, he's, getting, he's getting in their face. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Paul is saying if you are able-bodied, and not everybody is, but if you are able-bodied, it is your responsibility to support yourself, to support your family by earning some money. And parents, grandparents, we've got to teach our kids this. It's so tempting just to be the ATM machine. It, it is. It's, so t- it's just easier. Sometimes, if you have the money, I guess it's not easy if you don't have it. it, it just to, to, but we've got to teach our kids and our grandchildren a work ethic. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Did you know that was in the Bible? What's he, what's he saying there? It's thinking that your financial problems will be solved by winning the lottery or hitting a jackpot. And there's so many people in our culture that are doing that. If you, if you are living paycheck to paycheck and yet you are purchasing lottery tickets, this verse is speaking to you. You need to type it out, put it on a card, carry it around, handwrite it on a card, carry it around and memorize this verse. You get ahead financially by plotting, slow-moving, unexcited obedience to the principles of God, to the wisdom of God. Now, we, we talk about hard work. What about honest work? Because we said that this is a habit of hard, honest work, right? Honesty is foundational to financial freedom. You might get ahead temporarily through dishonest means, but life will not be good for you from a godly perspective. Now, we think of this on a macro level, on a big, you know, we think of the CEOs of companies that are in jail for, for fraud, or we, we think of these big names, but you know, did, we all can be tempted to dishonesty in our work. Do you work hard? Are you honest in every area of your finances? Do you give a full day's work, or do you come late, leave early, and take an extra long lunch break? Spending an hour in the bathroom. Uh, listen, I, I know everybody else does that. But scripture says that we do our work not unto our employer. We do our work as unto God. One, one of the greatest things that I was blessed with, and it's, it's nice that, you know, now living back in this area, I bump into people who, who know my dad, who knew my dad. And my dad worked at the same place his whole, from, he graduated from high school and worked at the same place all the way through retirement. And the, the cool thing is he, we share the same name. He's Kendi Chant Jr. and I'm Kendi Chant III. And so I'll bump into people and they'll say, I, Kendi Chant, is, is Kendi Chant your dad? Yeah, he's my dad. And, and one of the things I hear about my dad over and over again, he was such a hard worker. Not like past tense because he still is, let's be honest. You know what? 
I get the fruit of his reputation. People will give me the benefit of the doubt, and they will support me based on the reputation of my dad without even knowing me because of his reputation. Can I just tell you something? People are watching you. They're paying attention to you. And I know everybody else is lazy. I know everybody else is coming in late. I know everybody else is taking long lunch breaks. I know everybody else is doing it. But here's the question. As a follower of Jesus, are you working honestly? Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes you're going to look around and you're going to say, well, this isn't fair. Students in this room, can I just tell you something? Decide right now that you are going to be a hard, honest worker. I know a lot of employers, some, there's employers in this room that would tell you right now, man, if there's just people who would show up on time and work all day long and I could count on the fact that they're going to show up again tomorrow and they're going to pass a drug test, we'll keep them around. We'll even compensate them. Listen, if you want financial freedom, first of all, we, you and I, because I'm in this, we need to think like a manager. This is, all this that I have, this isn't all mine, this, this, is, this is from God. I'm a temporary steward of what he's entrusted to me. But also, we need to have the habit of hard, honest work, that we are working hard and we are working honestly, and that we recognize I may never get an attaboy, and I might not get recognized, and other people might get promoted around me, but they're not my boss anyhow. I'm working unto the Lord. Here's a third habit, and we're going to talk about more habits next week, but the third habit for today, the last habit we'll talk about today, is a habit of keeping good records. I had you on number two, but number three, you're like, oh, man, come on, really? The habit of keeping good records. Would you say that with me, whether you agree with it or not, whether you like it or not, just say it with me. The habit of keeping good records. Now, I'm just going to tell you right before we get into this, some of you in this room, you are wired in such a way, you have a personality that you love this point. How many of you in this room, before you even hear the explanation, you're going, I'm there. Yeah, the habit of keeping good records. There's got to be a few weirdos like me, right? Like you, you like Excel documents. You like keeping lists. You like keeping track. Some of you in this room, some of you in this room, right away, you hate this point. How many of you just raise your hand right now? Yeah, <laughs> I, see, I see that hand. Can I tell you, there's, there's one key, is I, and I, I read a lot of books about finances, and, and I try to be, be well-balanced in the stuff that I read. And one of the things that I found is those who consistently experience financial freedom in their lives, one of the consistent issues, in a, and I'm not just talking about someone who, you know, has like, all of a sudden they win a jackpot, and they've got a lot of money, because usually those people, if you look at the track record, they end up bankrupt in about... Uh, you know, within 10 years is what research is telling us. Those who experience consistent financial freedom are people who know where their money is and where their money's going. They keep track of it. Here's how I would say it. You need to be a knowing where your money is a going. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need to be a knowing where your money is a going. You need to be a knowing where your money is a going. And here's the thing, people who keep track of their finances spend it way better. But, but who cares about my opinion? Let's look at what the Word of God has to say. And I mean that. Like, you shouldn't just care about my opinion. You should care what the Word of God has to say. Proverbs 21, verse 5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Hasty is an interesting word. It means acting too quickly, or it can mean buying on impulse. You need to be a knowing where your money is a going. 
Rick Warren says this, he says, money does not talk, it just walks away quietly. (laughs) Can I say that again? Money doesn't talk, it just walks away quietly. And if you don't have a plan, and if you're not paying attention to your money, one day you just, and, and this happens, right? You just go, where did all that go? You should know where it went. You should know what's going on. Now, I, I understand for some of you, this is going to be the hardest thing in the world. But you're a steward. You're a manager. The resources that are under your, they're not yours. They belong to God. And you will be judged for what God has entrusted to you. You know, there's going to be two judgments. I, we, don't, we don't talk a lot. This isn't in my notes, and so I may get off a little bit here. But there's a judgment of, is your name written in a Lamb's book of life? Did you receive the grace of God? Did you receive his forgiveness? Did you act upon the word of God, the gospel that was presented to you? Did you humble yourself and say, Jesus, I have sinned against you. I need you. Come and save me and rescue me and forgive me. And when you act upon that and you say, Lord, save me in the name of Jesus, based on Jesus' death and resurrection, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And in the judgment, and and there, there you are. There you are, Lillian Davies, there you are. Your, your name's written there, right? But you know there's going to be another judgment? This is a judgment of rewards, and we'll get into this. I don't, I don't have all this. I, I'd love to put the scripture verses and everything up here. This is a judgment of rewards, and it's a judgment of what did you do with what was entrusted to you. And at the end of that reward, some of us are going to hear a well-done, good and faithful servant. And, and some of us aren't going to, you're going to be entrusted with even more. Some of you, you're not going to get entrusted with a whole lot because you weren't very faithful with what God entrusted you here. I, I'm off my notes. So let me get back because I'll start saying things that aren't even right probably. Let me, let me read Proverbs 27 verse 23. Proverbs 27 verse 23 says, Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. Now remember back, this is an ancient culture. 3,000 years ago, they didn't have bank accounts. There was no PNC. There was no impact credit union. You know, there, there, was, there was none of that. The, your money, your resources were in your flocks and your herds, right? So what is Solomon saying? He's saying, you need to know what you've got. You need to pay attention. I guarantee you they were counting their herds. They were counting their flocks because that represented their resources, You need to know four things. We put this in your notes. Four things you need to know. What do you own? What do you owe? What do you earn? And what are your needs? And then you need to be honest about what are your needs. You need to be honest about what are your needs. In the United States of America, we we have a difficult time deciphering between needs and wants. You need to know what do you own, what do you owe, what do you earn, and what are your needs. And if you don't know these four things, you need to figure it out. Proverbs 23 verse 5 says, In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. That's scary. That's scary. So here's your homework. Two things I want everybody in this room to do. And if you're in middle school, high school, this stuff is for you too. In fact, I would tell you, some of us older people in this room go, oh man, I wish I would have gotten this back in middle school and high school. I wish I would have started thinking about these things back then. Here's the first one. For one week, keep a record of how you spend your money. If you're a middle school student and you have $7, 
for, for this week, keep track of how you spend that $7. If you're somebody in this room and you have $7,000 this week, for, for one week, keep track. I'm telling you, keep track of every penny. There's apps you can use to do this. You can do this digitally. You can do it. Sometimes I like just having a piece of paper and just writing with a pen and just, I just carry it around. I dare you, for one week, write down every penny that you spend money on. Here's what I'm going to tell you is going to happen. This is statistically, we know this is true. If you will keep track of your money for one week, you will find in this week of keeping track of your money that you're going to have more of it at the end of the week. That's statistics. All the research says when we pay attention to how we're spending our money, we spend less of it. Because we're using more discernment. We're not making as many impulse purchases because we know we're writing it down at the end of the day. That's, that's your first thing. Second thing, and in your notes I put this, if money is a struggle, just X that out. If you're following along in your notes, just scratch that out because that's not, that's not the deal. It, I want to ask everybody in this room to consider attending Financial Peace University this fall. We're starting up in three weeks on Tuesday, October 25th at 7 p.m. And, and can I just tell you, when Carrie and I got married, I was making, when we got married, I was making $100 a week. And I'm not that old, okay? Like some of you go, well, you know, 70 years ago, $100 a week was good. I mean, this was 22 years ago. I was making 100 bucks a week. We, we couldn't afford, like, we couldn't afford anything. And all of a sudden, like literally overnight, I get a job where I'm making $30,000 a year. And I'm like, we're in the money. You know, like, like to me, I mean, and even back then, $30,000 wasn't a lot. But for us, we were like, oh. And we weren't struggling anymore, but all of a sudden the issue was, what do we do? I mean, when we didn't have any money, we knew what to do. You, you just do what you got to do, right? But when all of a sudden you got a little bit of margin, what do we do with this margin? And I'm telling you, the, the principles that we learned from Dave Ramsey's class, it helped us so much. I'm not saying, Dave Ramsey isn't the Messiah. Okay, you can disagree with him, you can like him, you can dislike him, but he's got a plan, and if you don't use his plan, find somebody else who's godly. Find somebody else who's, who's thought about these things and, 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 and put work into these things and, and follow that plan. But here's a plan that we're offering you. Aaron Avery, who's the treasurer of our board, is going to be leading this class on Tuesday nights. And I just, if you don't have a plan for your money right now, maybe you're not struggling. Maybe you're actually in a place where you've got more than you've ever had before. I would encourage you to sign up for this class. There's a little bit of money involved. I think right now you, you, they ask you to do a three-month uh, subscription to an app that he has, and it's going to cost, I think it's going to be $80. Here's what we've decided that we'll do as a church. If you will attend the classes, at the end of the classes, we will write a check for that amount right back to you. So you don't even, it's just, a, there's no risk. Just come and go through the classes, and you will learn how to set up savings, how to think about retirement, how to think about all these things, budget, the B word, right? Like how, how, do we, how do we keep records of where our money is going and pay attention to these things? If, you're, here, here, if I could wave a magic wand every 20-something in this room, every 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, man, I would, I would go to this class. It could change the whole trajectory of your life. And here's why, because it will impact your relationships. Your, your future marriage could be better for it. So here, here's two things. Keep a record of everything you spend your money on for a week. 
And then secondly, just look at your calendar and figure out how you can make this work. If you go to our website or you go to the Church Center app and go to the small groups or life groups, you can see the details. You can click on that without even registering. You can click on it and it tells you the dates that they're meeting. They're going to meet for like five weeks, I think, this year. And then once they get up to even close to the holidays, they're going to take off. And then they're going to start back up in January. And so it's really easy for you to do. Here's why this matters. Because God cares about the things that you care about. Your Heavenly Father loves you. In fact, you can't even begin to imagine how much He loves you. He created you. You're here today. Nope, nobody in this room is an accident. Even when you were in your mother's womb, the Lord knew you. He saw you. He created you. He knows everything about you, and He loves you. He knows the mistakes, maybe financial mistakes, maybe other mistakes. He knows your sin. He knows the bad, the ugly. He knows the things that you're proud of that nobody else even knows about. He knows it all. And he loves you. And he wants you to be a part of his family. And he's made a way. He doesn't just say, I love you. We've all had people in our life who've said, I love you. And then a week later, they're nowhere to be found. He doesn't just say, I love you. God proved his love for you when he sent his son, Jesus. The son of God, come to earth. Came to this earth. To take upon himself the curse of our sins, the punishment of our sins. He took all of that upon himself on the cross. He loves you. He cares about your money. But you know what? He cares more than your money. He cares about your soul. Money's about wisdom. You get the money wrong and, and you die and you ask Jesus to come into your life, you're, you're still going to be in heaven. What he, what he cares most about is your soul. Because he loves you. Have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Have you received his grace, have you received his forgiveness? Have you humbled yourself and said, God, I have sinned against you? I'm broken, I'm helpless, I'm powerless. I've not done things the way that you wanted me to do them. I've rebelled against you in so many different ways. I've been selfish and self-centered and prideful and arrogant and critical. God, have mercy on me, forgive me. I welcome you. Be my master, be my leader. I'm gonna ask all over this room if you close your eyes and bow your heads. This is the most important thing that we could talk about. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? Have you received the grace of God? Are you here this morning and you need his forgiveness? You need to know that he is Lord and master of your life. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not going to have you stand or come, to the, come forward. But if that's you this morning, you say, Ken, would you pray for me? I, I need Jesus in my life. I need him to be master and Lord of my life. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for my friends who raised their hands. God, for both of them, I, I know they love you and they're following you. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you see what's going on in their hearts. You see, you see what they're struggling with right now. And God, I pray that they would just whisper a prayer of surrender to you. A prayer of just fresh surrender. I just surrender one more time. I surrender to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Father, I pray for my, the, the friends who raise their hands and for all of us in this room that you would empower us 
to actively actually follow Jesus. To not just be hearers of the word, but God, give us the courage and the power to be doers, to do the things that you've asked of us to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.